Hi, this is FEA President Andrew Sparr. To stay on top of all the latest news and issues impacting our public schools, be sure to follow FEA on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information on this podcast, visit feaweb.org backslash podcast. You're listening to Educating from the Heart. Thank you for joining our lively conversations with teachers, support professionals, parents, and students as they share issues that matter most in our public schools. Here are your hosts, Tina Dunbar and Luke Flint. Welcome to another episode of Educating from the Heart. I'm Tina Dunbar with my co-host, Luke Flint. So, Lou, can you name your favorite educator, one who had a really big impact on you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Mr. Powell was my fifth grade teacher at Glendale Elementary, and, and he's actually the reason I became a teacher. I wanted to be just like him when I grew up. How about you? Well, several come to mind, but Senor Mignones, he was my Spanish teacher. He really stands out. He was the best. No matter what was going on with students, he was always there to inspire you and push you forward. So can you remember your favorite class? My favorite class? That's a little tougher. You know, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd. I, I enjoyed almost all of my classes. If I had to choose one, it would probably be history of the English language. Um, I actually loved it so much, I took it as an undergrad uh, and then again um, and at the graduate level. Wow, that sounds interesting. I might have to get a lesson from you on that. So one more question. Can you remember your favorite standardized test? I'm sure you've got a few to choose from. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. <laughs> No, no, no. Favorite and standardized tests don't really belong in the same sentence. Uh, you know, Tina, I was really fortunate that I graduated from public school in Florida before the current testing craze. The FCAT didn't come around until the year I graduated, and seniors didn't have to take it. As a teacher, though, I did administer the FCAT, the FCAT 2.0, and the Florida Standards Assessment. And I can tell you, even though the test had three different names, nothing else really changed about them. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. And once again, Florida is preparing to administer a revamped assessment system that includes progress monitoring and a new end of the year test called FAST or the Florida Assessment of Student Thinking. And while Governor DeSantis has made some really big promises about these new tests, the current proposed legislation doesn't seem to really make those changes. So Luke, we're hearing from educators that they're worried that this new assessment will essentially be FCAT 4.0. And you know, Tina, I think those fears are probably well-founded. To delve a little bit deeper into this issue, uh, we sat down with four educators. First, you're going to hear from Anthony Colucci from Brevard, along with Vicki Kidwell and Bethany Koch from Clay County, and Matt Young, also a Brevard County teacher. We talked with them about the current system of standardized tests, what they hope to see with a new testing regime, and what they fear will happen if educators' voices are ignored. We begin by talking about progress monitoring, since that seems to be a big focus of the proposed legislation. What is the goal of progress monitoring? 
for educators. When you're teaching in the classroom, it's important that you um, make sure the students are learning and you're just not teaching, right? So you want to constantly constantly be aware of where your students are at and that they are growing from where they're currently at. And that is our primary job as, as educators is to, is to see growth. And progress monitoring is a, a system to ensure that you are tracking students' growth or sometimes lack of growth and tailoring your instruction to, to get that I think that um, for students. me, I would agree with all of that. And progress monitoring um, from my primary experience is very targeted to um, standards or a skill or a concept that you're trying to get your students to understand. And it, it's the growth of the student towards um, your goal against where they were to where you want them to be. It's not, it's not Billy against Bobby, it's Billy advancing more and more and more on the continuum to where he is competent in the skills and the, and the concepts and the standards that he needs to be competent in. Um, we don't, we wouldn't sit down and compare two kids. Progress monitoring is one student's growth. And I think student growth is, is the whole picture right there. That student's growth. Um, progress monitoring is not something that you do once a year, right? Progress monitoring in a teacher world is something that we do every day, sometimes multiple times during a lesson. You know, I teach high school, so I've got 50 minutes to teach my kids. Um, and in high school, it often in my classes, it often looks like an exit ticket, right? So at the end of the day, we'll have um, three short questions. And sometimes that's um, taken on a computer. Sometimes it's um, raising paddles so that we can see who knows what. And then I can understand myself, um, both, you know, how my students are doing, but also how is my teaching coming across? Like, is my lesson effective? Do I need to clarify something? Um, and in that way, uh, progress monitoring, I think the most important part of it is that it's a tool to help us be more effective educators. Um, and, and that can't be done with one big, scary standardized test at the end of the year. I would add to that, that um, progress monitoring should be formative, not punitive. And I think a lot of times what we do with that data is really the um, kind of thing that gets lost in the shuffle is, are we using that data to assign, you know, grades? Are we using that data to assign district grades and assign money? Are we using that data to punish students or teachers? Um, or are we using that to inform our instruction and to better our instruction? And I think oh, another key point is that progress monitoring might look different across different subjects and grades and even student groups. Um, that obviously my kindergarten counterparts, their progress monitoring is gonna look a little different than what I might do in a sixth grade classroom. Are you saying that the previous testing system did not give you that kind of information? Absolutely not. Um, I, I've been I've likened it to an autopsy and when the checkup was needed um, where we would sit and at least in Brevard County, we would sit in meetings at pre planning of, of a school year, dissecting data from April or May of the previous school year. I was always frustrated and still remain frustrated that I could not celebrate the wins with my students and I couldn't affect any change in what those things were now because they were off into another grade level with another teacher. Um, and I just got handed a bunch of new names and they were just names and numbers on a page to me 
but I'm supposed to do something with that data. So I always found it very frustrating um, to have to deal with that, you know, from a data desegregation point of view. Students have already left. Yes, that was one of the things as a parent that I never understood in terms of how that would help a, a child getting the information afterwards. Go ahead, Bethany. Uh, in addition to that, the FSA's data is um, kind of masked. It's it's hard to tell. We don't get to look at the test, so we don't get to say like, oh, this is what where this question went wrong. We don't get to look at the, the standards that were affected. Um, we don't know how the scores are calculated, but it's kind of a, a mystery in, in Clay County and in my school, we, we prepare our, um, we do quarterly checkpoints and we prepare tests as a cohort with our BLC, um, according to the standards that are aligned with our curriculum map put out by the county. Um, and we check on our students' progress and then when the test is over, we uh, strategize on how we can, you know, move our kids forward and, you know, where we need to uh, improve any weak spots. Um, everything that we prepare for never lines up with the FSA because we don't have the resources. Uh, we don't know what's on the FSA exactly. We don't know what the FSA looks like. We don't have any feedback. Um, so it really is kind of, um, it's like, it's like preparing to do a long distance run and then being told you're going to actually have to swim. What I've heard already um, is that during this transition, um, we need to be sure that results come back in much more quickly. That transparency is essential. Um, what else? Um, if, if, if there were no framework, if we were starting from scratch and building an assessment system, uh, what what would it look like in your ideal world? We shouldn't just be testing the things that are easiest to test, right? There's a lot of important skills that don't find their way onto standardized assessments. I mean, you know, sometimes people refer to them as, as soft skills, but there's also, you know, standards that tend to be left off because they're, they're harder to, to test. And you know, it, it, there, there once was, was a student and, you know, this, this student was told, um, hey, you know, you, you, you talk too much, you got too much energy and you question authority too much. You know, you're, you're, you're never going to uh, amount to anything. Let me just tell you, those skills are serving me so well as union president. I mean, it is just, <laughs> so I think it's always important to remember the value that each child has, the unique skills. Every child has something unique or special about them that they excel in. And it's important to look for those things too and not get caught up in the whole system. But we are going to have an accountability system. So going back to your question, Luke, I think it's important to not just go at the, test the low hanging fruit as, as well. I think it's crucial that teachers have an input um, we, in, in my course, uh, my study, we do a, a planning called planning with the end in mind, right? And it's crucial that you know your goal and then you can plan backwards from that so that your students are able to achieve that goal. If we don't know what that goal looks like, if it's this shrouded test, it's very difficult to make sure students are meeting all their benchmarks, especially with standards that are just very vague, very large. And, and you're right, like some of the standards, like Research is one of my key standards, but 
there's no, there's not, that's not on the test. So none of us focus on it. Right. Because if it's not going to show up on the test, it's not, it's not something that we can utilize our time for. Um, so I think teachers need to have input, whether it's in, you know, whether the uh, tests are developed in PLC cohorts or developed by the district that are in, then implemented by the cohorts. Um, I think that we need to have the tests back as soon as they're done with, you know, direct data about this question, you know, who tripped your kids up or this question was successful. Um, but yeah, I, I think teachers need to be more involved in the process. We really don't know what the progress monitoring tests will look like that are coming from the state. We don't know if the district will have input. We don't know if teachers will have input. Um, what is your biggest concern? Um, I, and, uh, you know, I think I might speak for a lot of people. I think we're concerned that it's just going to be a different flavor of the same thing, that we're just going to have a different name that might have a new acronym and we'll shine up the same old thing and put the same old thing back in front of kids. And, and that in the interest of change, it won't actually change. I think that's my biggest fear. And I know that's a lot of my colleagues' biggest fear is that we've, we've taken a brand name and just stuck it on the same old product. And not just that it won't change, but maybe it's going to be worse now. Absolutely. How could it get worse? Because it's more often. Because now it's three, three tests. And, and so progress monitoring, I think the fear for me is that progress monitoring in my mind is something continuous it's something teacher created. It's something you get timely feedback on. It's something that informs your instruction so students can grow. FSA and standardized testing is something completely different. So how do those two things align? If truly we're gonna pivot away from standardized testing and move towards student growth models, that could be a great, great thing. But the fear is it's going to be created in some hall in Tallahassee by some testing company that computerizes everything, makes billions of dollars and, and handed and shrouded to us, not once at the end of the year, but three times. And the bill saying that pre-K, you know, primary kids starting at pre-K will be doing computer-based tests as a primary teacher, that's criminal. That's not growth monitoring or, or progress monitoring at all. That's, that's you're not testing skills or um, what you really want to test. What you're testing is computer skills, listening, attention, all of the, I mean, it's not going to do what we want it to do. And so districts then are going to know it's not doing it. So they're going to implement again, still their own progress monitoring. And now we have three times as much state tests, plus all the things the district needs to do. So we really know where the kids are. That's a step backwards, not forwards. And that's the fear. Progress monitoring in our classrooms is organic, right? It happens all the time. It happens during lessons, multiple times during lessons, mostly every day. Um, or at least at certain checkpoints in your unit or your instruction and FSA style testing, standardized testing is inorganic, right? We have to shut down schools. We take kids out of their subject and out of their regular learning for hours at a time. If a student 
misses that test, then they are having to be called again and pulled into a cafeteria or pulled into an auditorium and tested again. And if they fail, this is what is the hardest in high school, right? Um, I teach 10th grade English. So if they fail 10th grade, then they're going to be in the fall set up in their 11th grade year doing the same thing. And then in the spring of their 11th grade year, and then in this fall of their senior year, and we pull them again and again and again out of those organic learning experiences they're having in, in favor of, of the standardized test, which is inorganic and doesn't impact their instruction. It can't be utilized by teachers as a tool. It's just, it's punitive. It's, it's, you've got to do this to graduate. It's punitive to the students. We're going to stick you in another intensive reading class again. Uh, And ultimately it's punitive to the teachers, right? We're going to base your performance and not just pay, right? Performance pay isn't just about pay. It's, it's a role. It's, it's a read of how you're doing in your job and teachers are not doing this for pay, you know, they're doing it because we love the kids. So to be turned around and told, you know, like you're not doing a good enough job, it, it's um, it's demoralizing and it's hurtful to our profession. I think we definitely have to consider the whole testing spectrum. If the state changes its testing, its progress monitoring, there's no way that the district should be doing the same old thing. You know, I think it's super important that as they craft this bill and amend it, that they really consider limiting what the district can do. We don't need repeat efforts. Uh, it, the amount of time on testing can, can be insane. I, I, as somebody who has administered a ton of tests, I remember just sitting there, you know, you, you walk around going, wow, I've spent, you know, 16 days of my entire life just walking around monitoring tests. Now imagine how that feels for, for a student who's who's taking those tests. You know, fortunately, most of us didn't grow up in, in this system of, of standardized testing. It it's it's overwhelming. And we got to make sure that in this bill, it is the state doing the progress monitoring, not the state and the counties doing the progress monitoring. Just to expand on Anthony's point. Um, I was doing a little diving on my own. We're on day 97 and I've given 14 days worth of district testing. And that's not even counting the two school specific tests I had to give. And then the 20 or so curriculum based uh, assessments that I would give, you know, just on a weekly basis. So it's, it's, and that's not even counting the, the state testing that will come in April and May. So I just think as a teacher who loves to teach, how much of that time could I get back and actually teach the kids something? And one of my old colleagues, she was a a grow up on a farm and she used to say, Matt, we spend so much time away in the pig that we forget to feed it. And I just thought that was, you know, beautiful in its simplicity. And I think that's what's happening in our education system today. Yeah, I mean, I'm, again, a former ELA ELA teacher, so someone might need to check my math, but my quick mental calculation is that 14 out of 97, you're talking about 15% of every school day already this year um, has been some sort of of test. And and, and like you said, that's not even your, the teacher administered test um, and certainly not the state administered test. So that is a tremendous um amount of time if, if i did, even if i did the math wrong like 14 days is a tremendous amount of time 
Well, Luke, even if you did the math wrong, I was speaking with a president in another county who said to me 20% of their teacher time is lost. And, and I think, too, there, there needs to be some thought given to all the preparing for the test because of the fear of the high stakes of the test by students um, and educators. Um, it, it doesn't matter if it's not informing your instruction. It's 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 a hammer over your head and the students know they can't graduate without it. And there's a lot of anxiety in that. As Bethany said, you know, that that's the non-organic way to do it. If you if you are doing true progress monitoring and student growth modeling, then you are embedding it in your instruction every day. And there's no fear. It's just a part of, okay, here's where I am now. And here's where I need to go to. Um, and there's no fear from your instructors. I, I never looked at when I was progress monitoring, wow, this student's fluency is really weak right here. What, you know, I didn't say, oh, then I'm a horrible teacher, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I didn't question uh, my teaching. What I said is I went to my colleagues and said, what's another strategy that I can use to reach Billy? Because something I'm doing, he's, you know, Bobby and all these other children in this group are getting it that are at this level, but he's not like, have you got any suggestions for me? And, and, and we put our heads together. It wasn't a, it wasn't a risk to do that. We knew that our goal was to get Billy forward and, there was there was no nothing punitive about it. It's just, hey, Billy, I'm going to try. We're going to try something new. You know, um, don't worry. Mrs. Kidwell's going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out together. It, it's it's completely organic. It's everybody working together on the team. It's what teachers want to do. It's our mission. We're there for kids and we want kids to believe in themselves. And it shouldn't be a fear based system. As a, as a teacher that teaches 10th grade, right? So I'm at the end, right? Kids are, kids have to pass this task, test to graduate. You see our students who are in those standard classes who have failed or, or been told they failed anyway, year after year, after year, after year, we've got kids that go into these tests and put their heads down and they're done, right? Like they have been so demoralized by this process that they, they have no incentive to try, even when that incentive is graduating, walking the line. You know, and, and you see this over and over and over again, and it's heartbreaking. Kids that are just like, I can't do this test, even if they're doing great in class, even if they're great learners, even if your progress monitoring class shows that, yes, you're growing. I can see that you're getting this thing that I'm trying to teach you. But by the time they sit down for this test, they've failed, gotten a one or a two on over and over again, been put intensive reading again and again and again. They don't see any motivation to try. And to that end, Victoria, um, the big push and the big buzzwords have been SEL and, and social emotional learning. And, and I think it's funny that we can say, say that that's important and we can all recognize the importance of that. But at the same time, we introduce this stressful and, and you know, sometimes fear inducing um, behemoth that is accountability slash state testing. And then we really don't we don't equip the kids with the soft skills to be able to work through that test anxiety, to work through um, the fear that builds up in the days preceding a, a large assessment. And so I think it's very, you know, we need to just at least recognize that those two uh, do go hand in hand, that fear and that anxiety do go hand in hand with 
large, um, high stakes testing. I think one of the most important things that has to happen is our educators and parents need to be able to see the test questions, right? Because if we're spending all this time on, on prep and we're buying into the system and then a student isn't successful, we want to know why. We want to make sure that the questions that they are asking are valid and reliable questions. And that may not always be the case that these questions are, are valid and reliable. So I don't, I, I would hope that the state would be transparent in the questions uh, being available to everyone, because I think that is the best way to move the kids forward is by um, understanding what the assessor is really getting at. Because to an extent, there, there is some interpretation in, in standards. I think Bethany said that. we. Um, try to figure out all year what they're going to ask. And then, you, you know, we're, we're off a little bit, um, sometimes big time. So I, I would love to be able to examine the questions and answers afterwards. I, I, as a parent, too, I'd love to, to see that. If the state doesn't get this right in terms of their version of progress monitoring, they're really going to tarnish a really effective teacher tool for monitoring and evaluating individual student growth. And, it, and I think after hearing this, people will say, well, if teachers are already doing this for themselves to help students move forward, why does the state need to do it too? Why can't we just rely upon the information that the teachers give us? We'll take that. We'll take that. Um, of course, I don't think anybody on this call would be opposed to, to that, but we also know um, that there are folks who believe that a different accountability system needs to be in, in place, and that's the reality of the times we're in, and I don't think teachers are afraid of that or are going to shy away from that. However, they want it to be fair, and they want it to be accurate, and they want it to be uh, meeting its intention and, and not being the reason why you go to school and, and learn to perform on a, a standardized test or a progress monitoring assessment. Yeah, I think one of the key indicators of whether this bill uh, will be successful will be whether it's just taking this massive end of the year clump of days that we assign to testing. And if it, it can just expand that over the whole year, and maybe alleviate some of the district redundancy that's occurring, I think it'll be a success. However, if it just duplicates that uh, end of year test and does it in December and then does that again in August or September, it will be a dismal failure. So I think that'll be one of the key indicators um, for whether this achieved its goal or not. Well, educators certainly have a lot to say about testing, especially on the way assessments impact all areas of learning. What an important conversation, and it lasted a little bit longer than the 20 minutes we generally share with you. So we decided to split the conversation into two parts. In our next episode, our educators focus on the overall accountability system and how its current structure prioritizes student comparisons and applies punitive measures when they don't make the grade. 
Luke, I hope the conversation will engage our listeners to continue to part two and share the episodes. And in the meantime, Luke, share how people can follow this legislation to figure out what's going on. Oh, I would be glad to. If you would like to stay up to date on the testing bill or anything else pertaining to education proposals under consideration by the legislature, the FEA website is the place to go. It contains a wealth of information on all the education bills as they move through the process. You can visit our session page at www.feaweb.org session. Again, that's feaweb.org slash session. That's it for our episode. Until we meet again, keep educating from the heart. If you enjoy our podcast, ask your friends and colleagues to subscribe on our website at feaweb.org backslash educating from the heart. Send your comments and feedback to heart at floridaea.org. Again, that's heart. H-E-A-R-T at FloridaEA.org. Or you can leave a voicemail at 850-201-3384. Educating from the Heart is a production of the Florida Education Association. FEA is the statewide educators union with more than 150,000 members, including teachers, education staff professionals, higher education faculty, graduate assistants, students preparing to become teachers, and retired educators.